First and foremost, we hope our listeners enjoyed episode 56 with Ian Bateman. Thank you to all that shared their feedback and thoughts. Now, here's a snippet of what to expect from today's episode. The best high-performance coaches that I've seen work have the ability to, to lead with a telescope and a microscope at the same time. So they can see the big picture, they can lead a philosophy, they can connect with actually yeah, do you know what? We lost the weekend, but the learnings are this, and in the big picture, it means this, and there's growth, and there's so they can lead with the big picture, but they can also have the microscope and the microscopic detail of well, why did we lose the weekend, and this this part of our performance is something we need to improve and get better at. We're excited to welcome Aston Villa first team coach Aaron Danks onto the Golders podcast. Aaron was part of England's under-20 World Cup winning success and has also coached at West Brom with the FA and at Anderlecht prior to joining Aston Villa. He shares his experiences and his story about his rise from working in community football to being involved with the Premier League first team. So Aaron, to us, Goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people for the greater good. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think um, gold dust for me means uh, something rare, something um, maybe unexpected or or could go unnoticed. Um, so I think of little gold dust coaching moments are little opportunities to to help support somebody because something has arisen, like a, something really valuable, a real valuable moment has come up. Um so yeah, I guess it's that rarity of it and that value, like real valuable moments, um, and they're often they often go unnoticed. Gold dust, I think, little gold dust moments can go unnoticed, um, and sometimes you have to be really skillful to spot those moments of actually he said something there, but what did he really mean by what he said? Or um, he's actually been in a situation there, and. Or however we feel about that player's response to that moment, it was a moment, and and what has that what has that done to him, and what is that what's that opportunity that we get from it? So yes, yeah, so a gold dust are like little rare, real valuable moments for me, or real valuable um, people, ideas, environments. Um, but yeah, I guess that rarity bit would come for me. Do you have any examples that you can share with us? Um. Yeah, I guess, wow, uh, examples, gold dust examples. They, they happen all the time. They happen in in coaching sessions. I guess uh, examples would be um, working with players, dealing with young players, and maybe they talk about something that's going on at their school or something that's gone on in their home life. And actually it, was a, it can be a gold dust moment to, to use that as a, as a teaching opportunity or an opportunity to connect with somebody or an opportunity to build better relationships with somebody uh, and not to miss those moments. Uh, so it might just be like an example of um, what you've been doing at school and he tells you about a lesson that he's really been engaged in or uh, he's really interested about something. And then you just use that as like a little thread of uh, a little opportunity to keep that connection going. 
yeah, so I just think it's like little small moments that we can use. Aaron, let's we'll just delve a bit deeper into what your current role now looks like and what it entails. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm very recently employed by Aston Villa Football Club as a first team coach. Um, so I'm I'm very new to the environment myself. Um I've been coaching for a long, long time and the opportunity came up this year to to join their first team coaching staff. So yeah, that's where I currently am. Um, I'm part of a fantastic team of coaches and players, uh, obviously working in the Premier League, which is uh, super exciting. Um, but for me, also a real forward thinking club, a club that really wants to uh, stretch, stretch its potential, stretch what it's capable of as a club. Fantastic fan base, uh, great, steeped in tradition and history. Um, and I play a small part in that. So just as a as a first team coach, so working with the players daily on the grass. And um, but for me, it was a really good culture fit. It was a really good fit for the kind of pathway and journey that I've been on as a coach. Um, I'm really curious. I always want to learn. Always want to improve. Always want to get better. And I don't know what that looks like all the time. But I just know that there's something more that I want to achieve. And as a club, I guess the the principles that they stood for and the the projects that they were part of and they were describing to me was very much that. It was like a growth project. It was um, where we can take it or how we can move forward. And so it's a really, really good culture fit. Uh, but like I said, I'm, I'm still very new in. So I also get that at the moment. It's For me, it's about just throwing myself into the environment, finding out what, what the people are about, what the, what the club's about, what the culture is and, and really adapting my skills and my coaching to to that to that space, really. Well, what what does your day to day look like then? Yeah, so day to day, I'll be part of the the plan, do review cycle around every training session, around the match days. Um, so I'm part of a coaching team which consists of me, another assistant coach. Uh, obviously the head coach, a goalkeeping coach and a uh, specialist set-piece coach. So we will come together daily to think to talk about um, the needs of the players, the needs of the group, the next opposition, um, what training looks like. Then we'll uh, obviously work with the, the wider group, the multidisciplinary team to plan all that out. So it, it, it's pretty much getting... Uh, getting at a reasonable time in the morning, not not really early, but early enough, and maybe a little bit of gym work or a bit of fitness work for the staff. Then we'll meet. Uh, we'll have breakfast together. We'll have a staff meeting to go through the plan, uh, what we want to do in training, what the physical demands should be. The session, obviously, we'll then be out setting up, deliver the session to the players. Bit of lunch, review back the session. Uh, talk about tomorrow's work, what we want to want we want to get covered, and you're just kind of going through that kind of plan, delivery, and review cycle, um, but always with your future opposition in mind, always with the philosophy of the club, what the club wants to look like on the pitch. Yeah, so and then delivering the sessions out on the grass is obviously the highlight for me, and um, I love the planning and I love the detail, but you can't beat being out on the grass and in any conditions and and working with the players and and trying to trying to create sessions and exercises that help them be the best that they can be. Mm. I'm going to take it back 
not for Aaron Danks as a, as a coach, but Aaron Danks as a player. What level yeah. did you play at? Not a, not, a, not a very high level at all. So I was a, a grassroots school football player. I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the sport, but knew I probably wasn't good enough to ever get to a very high level. Leaving school, obviously carried on playing and, and progressing as a player. But for me, I got the bug for coaching at a really, really young age. So I got into coaching when I was 15. And I kind of knew at that age that I loved the sport. I loved the game. I loved, um, I loved football and had an opportunity to try and make a career or a pathway. Probably wasn't even thinking of a career at that time, but I had an opportunity to, to work in football or to do stuff in football. So, so yeah, so that was kind of me getting into it really. So no, never played professionally. Definitely never played at a high, high level was okay as a football player, but not outstanding, uh, but had a massive passion for it and a massive passion for the game. So that was kind of the hook for me, really. I find it inspiring, Aaron, listening to you, considering the level that you're now currently coaching at and have worked internationally as well and equally across in Europe, which we may delve into. We may have people listening to this podcast that have, have got aspirations to follow in the same footprint and that old saying you've had to play X amount of professional games in football to then become a, an outstanding coach as you are is literally a myth, which I love listening to. So thanks for that. Now, you did mention, you know, a big part of your formative years in coaching started at 15 where yeah. you worked voluntarily, didn't you, at Birmingham City. Share with us what that experience did, how it's formed, how you currently uh, coach, and did it actually help shape your values and your beliefs? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, definitely. Um, when you speak about the journeys of coaches and <clears throat> I don't think any coach's journey is ever the same. And it's it's like it's exactly the same as a player, really. We can't we can't expect because we've seen one player go on a journey that the next player will follow and the path will be exactly the same for them. It won't. It's always completely different and completely contextualized to that person. And and it's the same for coaches. So listen, I've come from a totally different background to ex-professionals or but there's no, there's no two ex-professionals that can go into coaching in the, in the same pathway. There's no two non-professionals that can go into coaching in the same pathway. So it's, it's got to be very specific for you. And, and my journey was, was very much that. So as a 15-year-old volunteering to go in on Saturday mornings and, and work on uh, little soccer schools um, in the school holidays, working on soccer camps and, and coaching the real, the real young players and and learning to connect with them. And then when I finished school, I thought I was going to start my A-levels or I did start my A-levels for about a month. And um, I was probably thinking, right, I'll become a PE teacher or we'll see where it can take me. And uh, so I start my A-levels and I get a phone call from, from Birmingham City Football Club where I've been doing a bit of the um, voluntary coaching, offering me an apprenticeship as a, as a young coach. Um, so I went to, I did an apprenticeship. I went to college with the youth team players. Um, but then when they were going out to train, I was a bag of balls and a bus pass going into inner city schools in Birmingham and putting sessions on. And it was so valuable. It was so, so valuable. 
Birmingham's a really diverse city. Uh, to go into some of the inner city schools, you see that straight away, you get that diversity. And I think the, the biggest learnings, and the biggest lessons that I take from day one all the way through my coaching would be around connection and connecting with people. And I remember going into inner city schools, putting on sessions and I'd go in my session plan and I'd have planned out like the technique that I wanted to work on and how I was going to break it down and how I was going to chunk the session to get through it. And I'd have this immaculate plan. I'd go in, my socks pulled up, my T-shirt tucked in and looking pristine. And and you'd walk into the classroom and you'd have 30, 35 kids looking back at you. Um, some of them football fans who are really passionate and hang on every word you say and are like really inspired that you're there. Some that don't know what football is, some that have been fighting in the day. He's just had a row with him. Uh, that girl there got kicked out of the last lesson because she wasn't listening. Uh, there's a child in the corner who maybe hasn't eaten all day because of the background they come from. And straight away, you, you walk into the room and you're like, my lesson plan's out the window here. It's about how do I get all these people on a similar page, connected, doing something, participating and active. And um, so many, many, many of my session plans get ripped up, thrown out the window, adapt on the fly, put something on, try and connect with people, um, try and be funny, try and be inspiring, try and make people laugh because it's such an easy win and, uh, and get the group going. And you take that through my whole my whole career then. So you're working in academies where you've got players playing up, players playing down, players on trial, players whose parents have gone through a divorce, players who are having trouble at school. You go and work internationally. You've got players who feel like they should be with the age group above. You've got players who are so grateful to be there and, and want to make the most of the opportunity that they're getting. You have players who play every minute of their clubs, but also but all of a sudden international football don't play every minute. Um, you have all these different complexities and, and your session plan is just your session plan. It's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the group of people that you've got in front of you. And that, no matter what level I've ever coached at, that's been the most important thing for me. And reading the group, connecting with the group, it sounds simple. It's one of the hardest things to do. I've been in, I've been in at this football club now for a few months and I haven't got nowhere near where I want to be with that part of my coaching yet uh, of connecting with people and, and building relationships with, I built some brilliant relationships, but it's part of the process and it takes time and, and you have to keep, you have to keep working at it. So that for me is such an important lesson that I learned so early in my coaching and it's been valuable all the way through. Aaron, part of your coaching journey. So along this, this path that you've been on from, from that 15 year old, volunteering yeah. through the then doing the apprenticeship with Birmingham City to where you're at now you've obviously done CPD yourself so we spoke about it before this podcast for for us this is CPD it's a great opportunity to to speak to people like yourself yeah for you you also went on a journey of CPD too you actually visited the Golden State Warriors uh, in the NBA so the the uh, the basketball team in America where you observed the coaches' work, and that completely different sport. So, 
it's not football, but you've gone to learn something from it. What lessons did you take from being around that environment? Yeah. Um, I was really fortunate to do that as part of my pro license, but also part of the role that I was in at the time at the, at the football association. So, and I've been obsessed for years with practice design, um, coaching sessions, X's and O's, tactics, formations, principles of play. I'd been obsessed with that for so, so long. And a few people nudged me and poked me and prodded me to go and look at different sports. And I was like, mm, uh, like football, I love football. I just want to watch the best people in football work. I want to. And eventually I, I came round to it and I went to visit uh, England rugby. I went out to see the All Blacks in New Zealand. I went over to the States and did all different sports. I did ice hockey. I did uh, basketball, as you mentioned. I did um, American football. And it was some of the best CPD I've ever done because straight away it takes the X's and O's out of it. It takes the tactics out of it. I'm not going there to learn about their sport or their, their, their technical or tactical detail. I'm going there to learn about the people. I'm going there to learn about the environments. I'm going there to learn about the culture. I'm going to learn about coaching and connection and, and coaching transcend so many different sports and environments and businesses and everything so uh it was brilliant and the golden state warriors was a fantastic experience they were a winning team so they just won four out of the last five uh championships and they had some of the best players there uh some of the best coaches there uh so that was a bit of why i targeted them and tried to get into their but, the, but again, it always came back to the people. So I connected with Ron Adams, who was one of their assistant coaches. Ron's in his twilight years of his career, let's say. He's super experienced. I reached out to him, cold called him. Um, he came back to me um, and then invited me. And only a, only a few days before I was in the area, so it was only a couple of days before I was in San Francisco, we actually confirmed the... Uh, meeting and we were just meeting for breakfast we were going in I was going to have an hour with him have a bit of breakfast it was their game day pick his brains for an hour get out and I got a ticket for the game and I was going to go and watch it myself but we we met on the morning he showed me around the training facility he introduced me to some of their staff and their like B team were training we watched a little bit of that we had a bit of breakfast we met at 10 o'clock in the morning. I didn't leave him until 10 o'clock on the night. He kind of kidnapped me for the day. He was walking around, introducing me to people saying, oh, this is Aaron. I don't know who, I don't know him from Adam, but I, I quite like him and he's coming with me today. And he took me through their whole game day experience. So I sat courtside, watched their shoot around, watched their warm up. I was in the dressing room, uh, pre and post around the coaches, listening to them talk. And, and then obviously sat in fantastic seats to watch the, watch the game. And watch such a high performance environment up close and personal. And it was incredible. It was really, really good. But I remember in the morning, he introduced me to Steve Kerr, the head coach. And Steve said, what are you interested in? What do you want to learn? And I said, oh, I'm really interested in coaching. I'm really interested in how as a group of coaches, you come together and you, you deliver your exercises and everything around that. And he was like, oh, no, we're rubbish at that. And I, I kind of sniggered and it was he was like, no, nah, genuinely. He said, where else are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to a couple of other places and um, going to the Clippers where Doc Rivers is. Oh, Doc's the best. He said, you'll learn so much from Doc. He said, he said we, we've got a really, really talented set of players 
And he says, and we just create an unbelievable environment around him. Now, he was obviously being super humble and he's obviously excellent at coaching and excellent at the tactical side of the game. But what it gave to me was how much they prioritise the environment over anything else. And they kept using words like uh, mindfulness, um, joy, compete. These were obviously their values, and but you could see them living it all the time. So if you ever watch Steph Curry warm up, it's one of the most fun-filled experiences you'll ever see. There's music blasting, he's dancing, he's, he's at times playing football, he's at times playing American football, he's taking shots from in the stands with the supporters. It's just a joyful experience, but he's really competitive with it as well. So there's always like he wants to beat, at, let's see how many reps he can get in. Let's um, So you could see whatever their values were and whatever the words that they were using, they delivered it all the time. And the one word that had the biggest impact on me was perspective. I remember as a young coach, I used to, I read an article, I think, or a book around uh, talent needs trauma. And all these world greats that had won so many different things had come through difficult backgrounds or had had traumatic experiences in their life. And, and I'd remember, I could relate that to a few players that I'd worked with. And, and like I said before, everybody's journey is different. But the word perspective for me replaced the word trauma because the way they sold it to me at, at Golden State was they've got young, very talented highly paid superstar basketball players. And if they don't have a perspective on life and perspective on what it means, how will they, how will they continue to perform at that level? How will they stop the money from going to their head and, uh, and then wasting their talent or them getting distracted by all the, all the uh, external influences that would go around a professional basketball player. So they coach perspective. So I went in on the back of black history month, they're just adding um, two black athletes who had competed at the Olympic Games, been stripped of their medals. I think it was in the Berlin Olympics, been stripped of their medals um, because of the stand they took against discrimination. And they had those, those uh, gentlemen back in to speak to their basketball players about the experiences that they went through and, and the privileges that some of our young players have now uh, compared to what they went through and, and it just to coach perspective and coach the importance. And Steve Kerr and, and Ron Adams, the assistant coach, said to me that they would they would happily cancel training reviews or game review sessions to talk about politics, to talk about what's going on in the world, uh, to talk about George Floyd and and all those things. And and that for me to coach that, to deliberately coach perspective, to deliberately coach human beings and ahead of X's and O's was like. Yeah, that was really eye-opening for me. Got to be an unbelievable experience. Like you mentioned, they were they were the best team around yeah. when you were there. But you're also, so Steve Kerr, five-time NBA champion as a player in that Chicago Bulls team with Jordan. So he's done it as a player. I actually listened recently to a podcast with Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll. Yeah, on the flying coach. I don't know if you've heard it or not. Yeah, yeah. And this was Steve Kerr's early days where he was just, I believe, on the cusp of going into coaching. And you've got this, this guy who's won five NBA championships and then he's going to Pete Carroll to get advice on 
coaching. What you, how would you do it? And and Pete Carroll asked the question, and I guess it's something for for the listeners today to think about. The question was, how do you coach? And it's such a it's a pretty deep question because it could be, how do you coach? Well, I get up in and, and I go out and I put the cones out and yeah. I get my session plan. But it wasn't about that. It was, how do you actually actually deliver your message? How yeah, yeah. do you, like you've just said, Aaron, the, the perspective, that's coaching. That's how he coaches. That's how he goes about what he go, what he does. So I got to be just a, a tremendous experience. I think being in all of those different environments. So I'm a bit jealous yeah, now. No, it was. It was so valuable, and and what I what I found myself is I'm 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 a sponge, and I get like I see something exciting, and I'm like, oh, I want to try that, I want to do that, and I want to. And I came away from there, and I was like, my mind was swirling with so many different things and so many different ideas. And for the first month, two months, three months, I was really cautious of going. Don't get too caught up in it don't get too like but now I look back that was in January 2019 so it's a good time I'm from it now and it still had a huge impact on me as a coach and there's still lots of lessons that I learned or lots of the things I've taken away that I try to implement in in my work now so so yeah it was a super super valuable experience I mean the question how do you coach as David mentioned it's it's quite in depth there's no doubt about that and is there any one way to be able to do to do this to do coaching to get involved in the game there are many different perspectives about how things should be done and can be done in regards to practice design to uh different uh where you put the units who do you put the units in terms of which player plays with who. So all of those are big decisions. But for you, when you're coaching, Aaron, what is your greatest curiosity? What a question that is. Um, yeah, Do you want me it, to give you that one all the quantum physics question? Which one <laughs> you I think this is harder than quantum physics. This <laughs> um, my greatest curiosity with coaching Um I think it would be around communication and connection. And there'd be two things again, all the way through my coaching journey. I'm always thinking, I'm always conscious of how am I connecting with people? How am I communicating with people? Is my message coming through? Is it landing? Is my, are my messages simple enough? So if I am teaching quantum physics, how do I teach quantum physics in its simplest format that, that people understand what I'm going on about? So yeah, that for me, I remember one of my one of my great mentors, Stuart Hall, um, who was uh, academy manager at Birmingham City Football Club, but also did lots of the coaching courses and coaching badges. And Stuart worked closely with Dick Bay. And I know Stuart was learning a lot from Dick and passing it on to us younger coaches. And, and Stuart Hall used to always have this saying around, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And it was like one of those quotes that I'd write on my notepad or I'd type it up onto a slide. And But it's only now really that I'm a little bit older and I've got a bit more emotional intelligence. So I kind of understand what it really means. And... And that would be my greatest curiosity all the time is 
football so diverse. That's what I love about football. You're never coaching people from the same background. You're always coaching people from different different perspectives and people who are in different states. Some people who are in their form of their life, some people who are out of form, unfit, lacking comfort, whatever it may be, it's so complex. And how you connect with them and how, how I might connect with somebody three months ago might not work now. I might have to find a different way of, of building a connection with them and being able to communicate efficiently and effectively with them. And that's been a big part of me as, as a coach has been, I want to gain as many experiences as I can because I know I'm not an ex-professional. I know I need to be different to, to other coaches. And, and for me to be the best that I can be, I want to gain as many experiences as I, as I possibly can. And at some point, it's not about gaining experiences anymore. It's about obviously being effective at your job and, and what you do. But I think that that being open-minded, being curious to change and to adapt has really helped me as a coach. And I'm just, when it comes to my coaching, that's probably my, yeah, that'd be my biggest curiosity is how do we keep evolving that and how do you keep connecting and, and effectively coaching people? As you're developing this wealth of knowledge and pool of experiences that you've had because you've worked with England and uh, an England setup, you've worked with the FAs, one of the lead coaches for in possession. Do you feel as coaches at the high end are flexible, sufficiently flexible enough, or do they have to build this flexibility muscle to be able to adapt to the situation and, and can do that very quickly? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think this is the ultimate killer of coaches. Coaches who, who, and it's so difficult. It's so, so difficult because I get it. I've gained all my experiences. I've been in, I've played at whatever level. I've coached at whatever level. I've been here. I've been there. I've done it for 20 years. I've done it for 30 years. I've done it for 40 years. So I know what I know. This is what I'm going to deliver. And, and that, I, I understand that. We've got to gain our experiences and we've got to deliver what we believe in. But I think coaches get stuck when they become fixated on this is the only way to do it, or this is how we've always done it, or this is how I've always done it. Or, this is this is how set pieces have always been delivered. This is how warm-ups have always been done. And I think that can kill coaches. And if they, I've seen coaches get caught up on that too soon in their careers. This is the way, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm delivering and that's it. And their, whether it's their ego or their fixed mindset, the doors end up getting closed on those coaches because they can't then adapt and, and move forward. Another one of my great mentors, Dan Ashworth. So Dan was my academy manager to begin with at West Bromwich Albion, then became technical director at West Brom and then was technical director at the FA. And I, I've, I've known Dan for a long time and worked with Dan for a long time. And this summer I was moving over to, to Anderlecht to work out in Belgium. But last summer I was work, moving over to handle it, work to work there. And I said to Dan, any advice? What would you give me? What would you? And he said, there'll be something that you've always done that you passionately believe in that just won't work in that culture. 
He says, I don't know what it'll be. He says, and you won't know what it'll be now. He says, but when you're out there, you'll find out what it is. And it just won't work. And you won't understand why it won't work, but it's just culture. And it's just different. And you've got to adapt. And he spoke about the difference between two clubs in close proximity in, in, um, in London that might only be eight miles apart, but have hugely different cultures and hugely different expectations. And, and for me to move to a different country, that was like, wow. Yeah. And that's hard because you do some things that work in football and you have great success with them. And if you become too nostalgic about it, you just want to keep delivering it all the time. I want to do that again because it worked really well. And, and it worked really well with that team in that moment, but the context is different all the time. So I think you have to adapt, you have to evolve. And I'm, I, I'm not expecting now I'm in a new role again. I'm, I'm on less than two months into my new role. I'm not going to be coming in and, and, and changing things or, um, or expecting to have a massive impact. I've got to be coming in and adapting to that environment. I've got to be coming in and, and learning what, what is it that this, this club stands for? What is it this club's about? And, and how do I adapt and, and then find my ways to make an impact? Um, so, yeah, so I think, it's, I think adaptability is hugely important. And if we go back to delivery of sessions, yeah. prior to delivery for you for any coaching session and for the session outcomes to be achieved, can you share what your planning sequence would look like? Yeah, for sure. So um, this will evolve over time and, I've got better with this over time. There'll been a stage in my in my coaching where I was coaching that much, delivering that many sessions, that my planning wasn't great. It was right. What am I thinking of? What's the theme? What's the topic? I did that last time. I'm going to change it slightly and, and do this. Uh, and the more and more. I've got on with my coaching and the more and more I work probably in uh, the levels that I'm at now, like I think your planning needs to be really detailed, really meticulous to think about each individual, but to maximize every minute that you get with them and how do we then incorporate the whole group of staff, the whole group of coaches to have the biggest impact that we can. Um, so it shouldn't just be me planning me and I've got, I've got 20 minutes to do a passing drill and a small sided game at the end, or I've got a 25 minute tactical block in the middle today that I'm going to deliver. And how do I make that the best? You're planning for me now working at these levels is around about what do the players need physically, technically, tactically, emotionally? Um, what, do, how are we incorporating all the coaches into the session? What's the head coach's role in the practice today? What's the, how are we all going to work together well to, to really impact the players? Um, so that's definitely part of the planning process now. So I think spending, spending time to really sit down, to really plan, to really get into that detail is valuable. Um, I understand that the coach is working at different levels where that looks very, very different, very different. And there's nothing to say you can't be effective planning in a lot less time and, and having to adapt quickly and having to, to, to do either deliver lots and lots of sessions or do a full-time job and then go and deliver a session. I totally get that. 
but I think finding some kind of structure to your sessions will, will help. Um, for me then in my planning process, I always want to link that session to something like this. Every session has to have a purpose. And like I said, I want to master every single minute we get with the players. So I think linking your objectives of the session to either your principles of how you want your team to play, what you want the team to look like, um, the individual players' needs within the, within the session, maybe your upcoming opponent uh, and what, what problems they might cause you and what solutions you need to find or what problems you want to cause them. Um, and then obviously thinking about periodization as well. So what's the physical loading? What spaces are we putting them in? How many numbers are we putting in those spaces? We're we going big areas with small numbers. We're going small areas with big numbers. We're going medium, like medium spaces. Um, what's the what's the physical demands on the session? So, yeah, all of that will come into into the planning. But I think the the biggest challenge for me, coaching at the level I'm at now, it's not easier. It's definitely better. It's not easier. Is to incorporate as many people as I can into that planning process. Make sure it's not just my plan. Make sure it's a a multidisciplinary plan it's easier for me to just sit down and say, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to deliver it, but that's not the best. Um, there's definitely better expertise that I can use around me to help me devise that plan. So yes, yeah, so that would be the planning process for me. When working in collaboration, the power of a group is, is obviously uh, a lot more effective, but from your toolbox of coaching strategies, what do you feel every effective practice should contain? Yeah. Um, this, this question probably keeps me awake at night all the time. And it's been the, the driving force behind my coaching for 15 years is what, what does an effective practice look like? And for me, there's a couple of, things that are really important to me as a coach and they're only really important to me as a coach because of my my journey my background people who have had an influence on me have definitely had an influence on my coaching so things like um high ball rolling time will be important to me because i want them to play i want them to learn through football experiences i want to expose them to to the game as much as possible that wasn't always the way in my early years of coaching. So my early years of coaching, I thought that they were a cup. I was a fountain of knowledge and I had to fill them up with my knowledge. Um, I'm definitely not, not fully there as a coach now. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more around, right, when can I help you? When can I give you some little tips and hints or, or pointers? But for me, it's very much around, now, how can I create an environment that's going to expose you, that's going to stretch you, that's going to challenge you? And what would that specifically look like in training? So high ball rolling time. So I want the ball in play more than it's out of play. I want, I want them doing a lot more than they're listening and, and having to put up with me. Um, we spoke a lot at the FA about having like a carousel approach to training so you move from one exercise to the next to the next and if you've got a very small space it'd be like how can I design an exercise within an exercise so I move out those four cones and it transforms into a bigger a bigger drill or a bigger session so 
I'd want a carousel. I'd want to move from one practice quickly to the next, to the next. So I want that flow to my training. And then as much as possible, as much as possible, not always. And sometimes I'll break these rules myself, but if I break one of these rules, I'll have to have a real conversation myself about why I'm breaking it. But as much as possible, I want opposition, direction and transition. So I want an opponent. So I want it to be competitive. I want to have to outthink, outfight, outwork each other. Um, I want there to be direction because principles of play, play forwards, control and patience to play across the pitch. If, if my sessions have got direction, I can start getting the principles of play out. I can get compactness. I can get pressing. You can get, so whatever your principles are, if you've got direction in your, in your session, you can get them out. And then the next one's transition. So how do you motivate defenders? How do you motivate the two in the middle of a, a rondo? Like when they win the ball, what happens? What can they do? Do they just drop the bib and swap over? Or do you give them a goal to play into? Or do you give them a target? Do you give them um, something to achieve X amount of passes? So I try to get opposition direction and transition into as much of my work as possible because I think that creates a, a higher learning environment um, or a heightened learning environment, uh, an environment where the players can be really stretched and have to work some stuff out for themselves. And then I'm there to support and help and guide and facilitate that. But it's definitely not all about me. It's about them. Now, looking through the lens of a more experienced coach now, what, in your, in your opinion, is the difference that makes a difference with the player's development? Um, I think what makes the biggest difference with a player's development is partially within them and partially outside of them. So there's a little bit within them. So there's um, Paul McGuinness speaks brilliantly about the spirit of football, about the spirit, their love, their passion of the game, their their engagement in the in the sport. And I think there's very much this innate thing that's going to make a big difference. Now, I'm not talking about nature and nurture. I'm not talking about them being born with ability and talent i'm talking about them just having a love for the game and we we all have a role to play in that player uh, parents friends coaches we all uh, officials opposition coaches opposition parents parents of other players on the same team like every everybody has a has a huge role in playing in the spirit of football in in making sure people are there for the right reasons and love the game and I've seen players lose that at all different levels and at all different stages. Um, it might be a player who's gone on to make his Premier League debut, who's achieved all of his goals at such a young age and never resets his goals again. And he starts losing the love because he's achieved what he wanted to achieve. He's got good money. He's played in the Premier League. Done. Whereas the best ones then go, right, what's my next goal? How am I passionate about getting there? How am I passionate about achieving that? And keep keep going. Um, I've seen it with the youngest of players who, who fall out the game, who fall out of love with the game because of parent pressure, other things in their life just become their passion, which is fine. Um, so I've seen all that. 
but I made a, and it's not, it's not a healthy statement to be honest, but I made a statement before that I never wanted to be a player's last coach. I never wanted a player to play for me and then not want to play football again. Like that was like the biggest heartbreak for me as a coach. Now it happens and it has happened to me and, and it's not nice, but like that's my driving force. So there's something innate about that, about that uh, spirit of football. And then I think another differentiator between them and their development would be the environments that they're exposed to, the coaches that they're exposed to, the the game time, the playing experiences, the opportunities, the um, just just that environmental factor. Um, but I think if they can find a an environment that's that's really that's really challenging but really supportive at the same time they're the environments that really help these players grow um and help them improve ones that are high challenge low support no ones that are high support low challenge no don't see the development um i've i've probably been uh, guilty of creating some high support low challenge environments before in the past but i think a high challenge high support environment can really really help the players to to grow and, and achieve their potentials oh wow some some detail in that aaron so when you're working with a player so you're working with someone specifically a player what what lets you know what's needed and how do you know what you've been working on with him has worked yeah two two brilliant questions and again the second one, like, how do you know it's landed? How do you know it's worked? has probably only dawned on me in the last two or three years of my coaching has been a really important question to start asking. Um, so I'll come back again to, and I'm sorry, I sound like a broken record, but it's so important to me, connection. Like connecting with people for me is so important. So how do I know what they need? Well, if I'm not connected with them, I might just look at it through a purely an analyst lens. And I like that, by the way. I love that. I love coding. I love looking at games. I love looking at players. I love breaking it down. I love getting the data. I love, I love that detail. But that can't be it. I can't just survive solely on that as a coach. Like I need to, I need to get in in connection with that player to know where they're at, what's important to them, what's influencing them at this moment in time, what's frustrating them. I want feedback from them as well. I want them to know, I want them to grow me as well. So I want them to, to challenge me. So how do I know what they need? I will look at data. I will I will go into that space and I, and I like that. I've been looking at players recently and looking back at the last 50 goals that they've scored, where they scored them from, with what foot, under what level of pressure, um, in what area of the pitch? Are there any patterns? Is there anything missing? Then you, once you've looked at their goals scored, let's look at the chances missed. Is there a is there a difference between chances missed and goals scored? Is there something around decision making? Is there something around? So I'm fascinated with that level of detail, but it counts for nothing if I don't connect with the person. And, and really, there might be something else going on that's that's far far superior to any of that and any of my coaching and um yeah so and then in terms of the second half of the question Keith around how do you know whether they've learned or whether it's landed um I'm not there with this yet like it's something I want to get a lot lot better at with my coaching 
Um, I think the modern day player now is is a lot more used to being asked questions. Is a lot more used to a two way environment and not just being told all the time. I think some players sometimes can still just want to be told and still just want to want to know what you think as a coach and just want to know your your message. But I think the more and more we can open up dialogue with them, ask questions of them, challenge them and and get them speaking in front of the group or speaking peer to peer. Um, And I think in there, in those moments, we can start to check for understanding. Again, on my world worldwide CPD trips, I was really lucky to have breakfast with Wayne Smith, the old All Blacks assistant coach. And he told me that this was his, this was coaching for him. This was fundamentals of coaching for him, was checking for understanding. And he used to tell me about team meetings that he would do. He'd put a clip on a screen, he'd play it to a moment and pause it. And then all the lights would go out and he'd say, right, raise your left hand if you think the next action should be X. Raise your right hand if you think the next action should be O. And then switch the lights on and see how many players had their left hand up and how many players had their right hand up. And just use little moments like that as checking for understanding. I haven't tried it yet, but it's it's a, it's a good little tactic. But I just think understanding the importance of checking for understanding as a coach is 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 yeah is definitely something i'm thinking about a lot at the moment what's very evident to you listening to you aaron is you mentioned the word several times during this podcast the word connection how we integrate our information so that it lands and to be able to land we first got to connect with someone and in our book we speak about this quite a lot and it's very interesting that you keep sharing it because it shows that we've hit a golden thread here with something that is very important. You know, we look at the X's and O's a lot and we're in there, we're in there to actually help develop and facilitate learning. But if, if we're not going to connect with them first, you know, no matter what information, what knowledge, how much experiences we've got, if we fail to connect, we're not going anywhere with anything. No, I think that's the that's the key, and and like you say, it's a golden thread, and I, I think it supersedes so much, so much in life and sport. Just connections is so valuable, and and I think like the, look at the last the last year, eighteen months that we've been through, and and being in isolation, not being able to connect with people, not being to be able to be around people. I knew it's grown this. Um, and this has been really valuable, like being able to speak to people over video calls and and connecting that way, I think is has been a, a godsend, really. It's been so, so valuable. But for me, like to be around people and to, to get out on the grass every day and be around football players and other coaches and, and staff, it's, it's so valuable. With that being said, Aaron, you're in, you're in a high-performance environment now. You've also, as we've spoke about, you've been in quite a few through CPD and through other roles that you've held previously. Yeah. What traits do high performing coaches possess? Um, they possess for me a passion, which sometimes can border on a um, obsession. And that's a difficult balance, but there's definitely a passion, a passion for 
different things. And I've seen lots of high performance coaches have different passions for different areas of the role. Um, I'd say my passion is for people and, and getting the best out of people. Uh, I've seen other coaches whose passion may be for data and detail. There's another coaches whose passion has been, been for competing and winning and three points and, and rewards. So there's different levels, but I think there's a driving force behind the people at people at the, at these that get these these roles or or sustain these roles. They have that passion. Um, for me, there's then something around curiosity, wanting to learn, having a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset, um, having a I think the best way I can describe it is these these the the best high performance coaches that I've seen work have the ability to to lead with a telescope and a microscope at the same time, so they can see the big picture, they can lead a philosophy, they can connect with actually yeah do you know what we lost the weekend but the learnings of this and in the big picture it means this and there's growth and there's so they can lead with the big picture but they can also have the microscope and the microscopic detail of, of why did we lose the weekend and this this part of our performance is something we need to improve and get better at uh, and they can go down into that laser precision with that but still be connected to the big and i think sometimes I've seen some people who've just only done the big picture and, and not been able to get down to the detail. And then I've seen some people that have only done the detail and got lost in the detail. So yeah, I like the analogy of the, of the microscope and the telescope. And I think it's, um, it's a good way of, of describing the best. Final question, Aaron, to any young aspiring coach, you want to follow a similar career path to your own. What advice would you give them? Um, yeah, I've had this and I've had this phone call a few times and I've had people reach out and and say that to me. And I, I always feel uncomfortable when people say that they're, they've, they've seen my journey and they're in, inspired to follow it or they've, I feel really uncomfortable and really humble because I, I still feel like I'm on a journey. I still feel like I am learning. I am, I'm improving. I'm, I'm, trying to get some keep uh, impact in the sport and working with people and developing people. So, but I think the number one piece of advice I'd give to people is um, never say no to a coaching session, coach anybody you can. And I look back at my journey and going into inner city schools in Birmingham, running my own community projects in um, in privileged areas in Birmingham, getting grants off rail track to stop kids playing on the railway lines and put sessions on for them. And, and then coaching non-league teams, coaching uh, college programmes, coaching in academies, coaching the under sixes and under sevens development centre on a Friday evening, um, working with the England national teams, going out to Anderlecht, working in Belgium, now working in the Premier League. I've had such a broad, a broad range of coaching experiences and I never, ever say no to a coaching session. Um, 
as long as time allows me. I could be bombarded now with 50 requests to go and do sessions next Thursday night. But I, 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 on occasions, go out and coach a local grassroots team. Um, my mates, uh, goalkeeping coach of a female team locally, and I've been out and done sessions with them. And, and just for me, just to just to keep coaching, to keep connecting with people, to keep putting sessions on. I do it now because it's a passion and I love it. And seven times out of 10, I do it for the coaches. So I do it to go and help a coach and, and help him rather than being able to impact the players because I'm there for one night and I'm in and out and I'm a guest coach. Um, but in my early years, being open to coaching anybody and, and coming through a community programme was brilliant for that. Again, that diversity. We did um, coaching coaching courses. We had we had the England amputees team the one time I remember coaching them through a session and taking them through some work. And it was like mind-blowing what they were capable of. And the re- restrictions and limitations in my own head, I was putting on something that, that wasn't there and how they grew me as a coach and what I learned from them for my interview process to get the role at the FA, I had to coach the GB uh, women's uh, wheelchair basketball team. And that was my interview process to get one of the roles at the FA uh, as part of a, a, a numerous other parts of the interview process. That was the one. I remember I had Gareth Southgate and a colleague who was more from a psych background who were assessing me coaching a wheelchair basketball team. And I, I was like, oh my God, you had five minutes to plan and prepare. I crumbled. What am I going to do here? How am I going to do this? But afterwards, once you're out of that pressurized environment, you understand they're not actually looking at how you coach wheelchair basketball. They're looking at how you connect, how you build relationships with people. But for for me, just to get that so many different experiences as a coach, any any young coaches out there who are interested in coaching, wanting to develop in coaches, yeah, get your badges. Yes, do your courses, but get out and and learn and and deliver and and mess up and get your sessions wrong. And because that's how you you'll improve and and reflect and bounce back. You did say never say no to a session, so I'm going to throw one at you here. <laughs> I'm in Utah, and the travel ban ends on November eighth, so expenses <laughs> are paid, but. I'm going to ask you to take a session. So I'm going to throw it at you. If you're ever out this side, you're going to have a, you're going to have a couple of offers. I'd love to love to next time I'm over that side. Let's do it. Brilliant. Aaron, look, I got to thank you on behalf of, of my dad and I, I think you, you mentioned in, in the last answer, you're humbled when people call you asking for advice and that they find your journey inspirational. I, I got to echo that. I think it's inspirational that as a 15-year-old, you're volunteering and, and you're working as an apprentice for Birmingham City after that in difficult environments. And you've gathered this plethora of experiences and, and, and a, a wealth of knowledge from doing that to then see where you're at now. I think it's inspirational so the amount of coaches that are starting off on their journey now to look at someone like yourself and see that if you commit yourself to something and you're, you're willing to listen and to learn and to, to just be present that, that there's a, there's a path for him. So from that side, I guess I got to thank you for the listener from the listeners too. But again, from my dad and I, I gotta, I gotta thank you for coming on. This has been excellent. And, 
good luck with the rest of the season and um, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up soon. Thank you very much. No, thanks for having me and, and thank you too as well for the good work that you're doing and and this is CPD for everybody. So for you to, to provide this opportunity and this platform and for me to listen to your podcasts, brilliant as well. So no, thank you. Mm-hmm.